price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, man. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I'll say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. Hey folks, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you for subscribing and thank you for listening wherever and whenever you do it. It is greatly appreciated. Bringing you great newsmaking rock interviews each and every week with your favorite rock artist, be sure to check out some of the older episodes if you missed anything. And again, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. And you can always connect with me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. And of course, EddieTrunk.com is the website. Got a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, we've got a lot of things happening and ramping up as we start to close out the summer, believe it or not. Uh, it's amazing. We are like, you know, on the verge of Labor Day, the unofficial end of summer, and still some shows happening, some shows going away, tours happening, some tours being canceled, kind of all over the map here, as has been the case as we continue to battle all this COVID stuff. Hopefully things are cool by you and everybody out there is doing well and staying safe. Uh, we've got uh, Rocklahoma coming up Labor Day weekend. I'm looking forward to being back out to host that. So you don't want to miss that. If you are in the Tulsa area or headed that way, look forward to seeing you for Rocklahoma. Two years in the making, uh, more than two years in the making since we had it last time. So that's going to be a fun one and a big time party for sure. Other cool stuff coming up, including in October, uh, greatly looking forward to being out at Monsters on the Mountain, which is happening in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And of course, 80s in the Sand sold out in Cancun, at the end of the month of October. Keep an eye on my social media. I'll keep you updated on everything going on. Don't forget, I'm also on Cameo. If you're interested in a personalized video, you can find it, uh, my profile. Just go to cameo.com for more information on that. So this week, two interviews for you. 
Uh, these all originate, as I tell you each and every time, on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, which you can hear on volume, which is channel 106, live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern, anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. If you're only listening to the podcast, you are getting a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis on the radio. So please be sure to join me on volume 106, Monday through Friday, live to Eastern and that replay every night, 10 Eastern for your convenience, full shows, interviews, and more anytime you want on the app. Also want to spend, uh, send a special message out here to my friend, Lanny Cordola. Lanny is a tremendous musician who for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years or so has been living in Afghanistan and educating kids through music and helping kids in that war-torn country. Well, needless to say, if you've been following the news, things have never been worse in Afghanistan. And this past Monday, Lanny sent out a, an appeal to anyone who can help him uh, this uh, is a release from Lanny Cordola that I want to share with you that's important. It says, for the last six years, the Miraculous Love Kids, a nonprofit organization established by musician Lanny Cordola, has served as Afghanistan's only school of music, specifically for war-torn, poverty-stricken girls and young women. The current circumstances in Afghanistan have placed the organization and its members in an extremely difficult position prompting an appeal to the world for assistance. The following statement details the group's dire situation and a plea for help. It says, quote, Today our lives are in great danger as the successes we achieved in becoming part of Afghanistan's cultural scene has now marked us for persecution and even death by the Taliban. What began in 2015 with three girls has grown to nearly 200 students learning music as well as basic reading, math, and life skills, all funded entirely by grassroots donations. We've recorded music with Brian Wilson, Tom Morello, Sammy Hagar, Nick Cave, Blake Shelton, and more. Now, with the Taliban's rapid takeover of Kabul, we are literally in hiding, with our most senior students in particular danger. Our school is closed, and many of the people who are supposed to protect us now see us as a bargaining chip to gain favor or even a bounty from the Taliban. As girls playing Western music with our American male teacher, Lanny Cordola, we could not be at greater risk. This uh, article goes on uh, basically just asking for anyone to help, anyone that can make donations, anyone that can uh, provide government assistance to these people to get out of Afghanistan. This is Horrific and tragic what has happened in Afghanistan. Lanny is a fantastic guy who has spent six years of his life helping these kids. And to see what they are dealing with is stunning, heartbreaking, staggering. If you'd like to learn, uh, help Lanny and learn more about his mission and helping these kids, go to the website MiraculousLoveKids.org. Again, that's MiraculousLoveKids.org. If you can help in any way, please do so. He's a wonderful guy. This is a wonderful initiative. And now 
as that country has completely crumbled, uh, they are in grave danger. Miraculouslovekids.org. I wanted to put that out there for Lanny. All right, let's get to our interviews this week. And uh, this week on the podcast, I'm going to bring you two. We'll start with Joey Allen of Warrant. Joey, in this interview, which was done on the day of the 10th anniversary of Janie Lane's death, talks about Janie, how difficult it was for Warrant to try to help Janie when he was battling with his sobriety, what they went through, stories about how Warrant was formed and Janie's role in that, how the songs were written, and of course, what Warrant is doing now. Joey Allen, up first on this week's podcast from Warrant. I think you're going to really enjoy these insights and these memories of Janie, which again, this interview, as all my interviews originate on the radio show, this aired live on what was the 10th anniversary of Janie Lane's death. Interview number two, which aired a couple weeks ago on my volume show, is with Jack Blades of Night Ranger. Jack talks about the new album, some of their upcoming appearances, and also the never-ending question, will damn Yankees ever play again? Great stuff from Jack Blades. You'll enjoy that as well. Here is Joey Allen of Warren, interview number one on this week's podcast. Joey, thanks for a few minutes. How you doing, man? I'm good, Eddie. How are you, buddy? Good, good. You know, it's always great seeing you out there on the road. We had a chance to hang at Sweetwater recently, and uh, I've seen you guys so much. It's always fun when you're on the same shows, we're on the same places. The band is is just killing. But, you know, it just floored me that it's been 10 years since Janie passed today already. Uh, pretty remarkable uh, that that much time has gone by. At least it feels that way to me. I imagine you as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 uh, not a good day to remember, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, it's it's been a long while. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. Uh, so, you know, it's just not it's just not a good day to remember. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah, let me let me ask you this, Joey, because being an East Coast guy, I don't really know the origins of this, but when did you first meet Janie? I know Janie was from Ohio, but how right. did you guys first connect and what were the seeds of you and him and Warrant coming together? Because I'd read some stuff about it. I guess he was there doing a different band and the band's kind of morphed. Can you take me through that? Sure. Uh, Steven and him were in a band called Plain Jane, and then there was Warrant, and Jerry and Eric were in Warrant with a different singer, drummer, and lead guitar player. And almost during the same week, Plain Jane, the band Janie and Steven were in, their bass player and I think guitar player um, decided to do something else, or either that or Janie and Steven decided to do something else. And at the same time, the, the drummer, lead guitar player, and singer, and Warrant left to go do their own thing. So it was kind of like both bands were looking for somebody. I think Jerry and Eric, uh, that's the first guy they thought of, Janie and Steven, because they knew they were free. And um, they went and put a letter on, on where he was living and said, hey, man, we're looking for a singer and a drummer. What do you guys think? Um, they they still had Josh in the band, which was the first lead guitar player um, in Warrant. So those guys got together. They did they played around for about six or seven months, and then Janie wanted a different lead guitar player. I had been in a band prior to all of this with Eric down in Orange County called Nightmare 2, a little heavier than Warrant. And um, 
And I met up with Eric literally on the Sunset Strip across across from Gilter's, uh, Gilter's liquor store. And he said they were looking for a guitar player. And, you know, I went and met Janie at Eric's apartment. I remember meeting him one night when he was getting ready to go out to have fun or fly or whatever. And he was with Becca Bramlett, who was his girlfriend at the time. And uh, we just introduced each other, said hi, it was nice, and, and went on. And then I jammed with him a few weeks later and got in the band. So that's that's the abbreviated version. What were your impressions of him early on? Uh, you know, just just meeting him like that. Were there was at that time were, were there any concerns about him and and issues with drinking or anything like that? Were there flags? Was he kind of thought of as a guy that partied too much that that early on, or did that not come into play till later? No, I mean he. First of all, I saw them live before I met him, so I saw them live in a backyard. So I saw him perform, and I'm like, wow, the guy's got chops as a singer kind of reminded me a little bit of Brad Delp from Boston because he had that full range and it was super clear. It wasn't a gritty voice. And, and, um, and, 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 you know, I didn't really hang out with him until I auditioned for them. And oddly enough, you know, after I auditioned while they were making their decision, I, I told him I was going to, I said, anybody want a beer? It was on a Monday night and I ran and got a 12 pack and you know, we were all in our twenties. So we were young and, and just really super ambitious. And I never really saw anything Prior to, um, I mean, we all had a good time, Eddie, during the Dirty Rotten Tour, Cherry Pie Tour, Dog Eat Dog Tour. But during the Dog Eat Dog Tour, generally when he, he started going through his first divorce, I started seeing, you know, a darker a darker side, um, you know. And, and, and I don't want to point fingers at all because he's not here to defend. You know, we all, we all had our vices at the time. Um, but that's when I first really saw a darker side of, of, of the partying go down that's interesting so it really you didn't really feel it uh and see it as a flag beyond again the 80s and the excesses of the 80s everybody had a good time we all know that but you didn't really see it become a concerning thing until about three four albums in with warrant then right it would have been after the third record and 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 um you know we were we were going from arenas down to theaters but we still could fill up you know a good two or three thousand four thousand seat theater up and you know, so it wasn't the work. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the trigger was. I mean, if, if anybody in this band or establishment knew what the trigger was and we could take it away, we would have done it many times over. We tried. We've had so many conversations privately about this. You know, what we what we tried to do to help. Um, and it's just unfortunate. You know, it's it's uh, we had a we had a sober coach out during the reunion tour and, and he said, point blank to us that two percent of of alcoholics you know can't be helped and he thought he was in that two percent you know whatever it was you know obviously he he uh he met his end which is just super unfortunate yeah and i imagine it's got to be remarkably frustrating too because here's a guy that was so talented and obviously your singer and your front man and you know he's in trouble, and you see it, and you're trying, and everybody's trying everything. And to be able to not get that light to go on, to be able to bring in professional help, and then be able to, and them kind of shrug their shoulders. I imagine that for the rest of the band and yourself included, just kind of feels like a helpless feeling, like you just you don't know where else to turn. It's got to be remarkably frustrating, I would think. Absolutely, it's probably the most helpless feeling you can ever have to watch a friend and a brother like that go through something like that. And you're, you're, you're helping in every way you've been taught to help. 
um, you know, buy professionals, you hire professionals, you spend the money, you you take the time, you 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 know, you give him the opportunity to back out, you know, of everything. We said, look, let's not do this. It's cool. We're cool. We buried the hatchet on all the business crap that was there, all the personal, you know, animosity that was there that comes around with band breakups and and stuff that happens in bands. And we were in a really good place when we started that reunion tour, but he was just struggling in such a difficult way um, that it, the ultimately the decision was that we didn't want him to perish on our on our watch because we we were out on the road, um, and that's the decision that was made pretty cleanly, you know, about let's let him go home and get better, and we told him to, you know, and uh, it, it just never happened. I mean, I think he he got better than he didn't, and it was a roller coaster right from you saw him. You know, a month or two, you know, on your show before he perished, and he was he was good. Yeah, you know? I talked about that before you came on the air. You know, I did not know him well at all. I I interviewed him maybe once or twice total. I I did not know him. I I uh, right. beyond beyond having worked you know done, done an interview or two. I I didn't know him like I know you or other so many other guys to text or call or or what have you. Uh, but I had yeah, I had a lot of respect for him. And people ask me all the time about when we had him on that metal show, because I remember, Joey, that was a tough thing for me because I remember he wanted to come on. And at that time, and I think people forget this because you just said you, and you just talked about it. You 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 moved on from him. You had brought Robert Mason in, you know, before Janie passed away. You had made that Rockaholic record, which is a great record. And then Janie was out doing whatever he was doing. And then at that time, I remember you guys were about to release that record. And then Janie was going out and doing some shows with his own band. And both uh, both of you had come, both of your camps had come and said, hey, can we do that metal show? And I remember taking it to the network and they said, well, we can't do Warrant and the former singer in the same eight block season. So we'll do Janie this time and we'll do Warrant the next time. And that's what sure. we ended up doing. And Janie right. came on and people ask me all the time, like, you know, how, how was he, you know? And, and I said the same thing. I mean, I didn't know him well, but he was great with us that day. And that's why it was an even bigger shock that very shortly after that, we shot that interview before it even got to air, he, he was gone. And I, I never saw that coming off of the guy that I interviewed that day on TV did you have experiences like that with him too? Did you, while you were on the road, was it like you'd have a good show, seemed, things seemed to be fine, and then the next day you just didn't know what you were going to get? Was it up and down like that? Absolutely a roller coaster. I mean, the guy was incredibly talented as a writer and a singer and a front man, and 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 you know you and, and very charming as a friend and a brother and and very very kind to fans. I mean, not a bad word to say about any of that. Um, you know, and then and then this this dark thing would happen, and you just didn't know. It was like just this like Jekyll and Hyde situation where you had this extremely talented, loving, caring guy, um, and then and then you know an hour later it would just be this guy that was looking right through you. Um, and 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 I think you know during during his stints in rehab that I'm aware of. Doctors told him, you know, you need to stop, you need to stop your body, you know, physically, when your body says it's over with, it's over with, you know. And he took that to heart because he was smart and he listened, but I don't think he could overcome whatever whatever it was that kept him, you know, you know, going back to that bottle. I don't think he could overcome it, um, no matter 
who tried to help his family, his brothers, his brother and sisters all tried to help different friends, you know, different wives he had and ex-wives tried to help him. And, you know, it was just something that you didn't know when that switch was going to get clicked on or off. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about him as a musician and being in a band with him from that standpoint, the good times, the positive stuff. So we know, we know that he wrote uh, the, I I believe pretty much he's credited as the sole songwriter on almost every warrant song, if not everyone from that era. How did that decision come about? Was it just that he was bringing in the material and was that, was that him dictating that? Or was it just that that's where the wealth of the songs were coming from? And you guys said, Hey, we're just going to roll with this because this guy's bringing the goods. How, how did it work creatively? I think, I think, you know, he was the main songwriter. He did write and pen all those tunes, all the lyrics. Uh, There was, you know, the, the things would come in to the studio and, Ideas would come in, he'd play them on an acoustic guitar, he'd sit down with me or Eric, and we'd go through the guitar parts, and then you put your own twist on things, and how you play them on a, on a you know, a, an electric guitar versus an acoustic guitar, and, and how things would be arranged. So all that was done as a band, but the general idea would come in sometimes from start to finish, completely written, and then it's just about how are we going to play all the parts and record all the parts, and we would do that with producers and work through all that. And he he held that very close to to you know the cuff. I mean, songs like there's a song on Cherry Pie called "Sure Feels Good," where I was at a I was at JB Frank and Danny Stagg from Kingdom Come. We were jamming together, writing one day, and Janie came over, and we had that riff going, and and I was working with Danny on it, and he gave Danny. And JB writing credit, I didn't get writing credit, not a big deal. But to this day, Danny Stagg laughs and said, why didn't you get writing credit? So he held all that stuff really, really tight. Um, I know that Eric got some credit on Cherry Pie because he was there and helped with some of the arrangement. And I know that Bo Hill interjected some of his ideas into a few things here, and he took some writing credit. But Back in the day, I mean, it, not to take anything away from him at all, it was him. I mean, he had a craft for writing tunes. No, you know, you you know some of the deeper catalog that not a lot of people know, um, if they're not Warrant fans. That pretty good stuff, you know, especially lyrically content wise. Um, so that's basically how it worked, you know, for the first three records. So he came in with the songs. Basically, it wasn't like you guys all got in in a room. I mean, he would come in and say, "This is what we're. This is what I came up with last night. Here's here's how it goes." And then you guys would just work it out from there. Right. Exactly. That's ex- that's pretty much what happened. And, and Cher- look, it's interesting because Cherry Pie, you, you guys currently are celebrating that record thirty years after, little more than thirty years after it came out, but the anniversary of that record by playing it in its entirety. It seems like he had a very love-hate relationship with that song in particular. Obviously, it was a huge song for you guys. It still is. But it seemed like it, you know, it was a bit of a love-hate thing. What were, what were your thoughts on, on that song, and, and what did you know about his feelings about it? Well, when that record was made, it was done, and we were out of the studio and, you know, doing things, getting ready to tour and doing a few press things, you know, junkets here and there. 
and we delivered it to Sony, and then Sony came back, and they had just, Donnie Einer had just gotten Aerosmith over to Sony um, back from wherever they were. I think they were at Geffen for a while, and then he got them back over to, I don't know if they came back to Columbia or Epic or wherever they went, but it was under the Sony Sony name. And when they did that, they had that Love and, Love and an Elevator song out, and, and Donnie basically called, I don't know if he called our management or if he called Janie Direct and just said, hey, I need... This is a great record. I need a big hit. I need a love in an elevator. And literally, within a day or two, late at night, one night, Janie took 15, 20 minutes and uh, scribbled some lyrics on a Domino's pizza box and wrote Cherry Pie. Um, he was listening to uh, Electric, the Electric Boys, you know that song, Hips and Lips? Yeah. Um, he was listening to a lot of them at the time. And... Um, and wrote that song and Jerry and I were somewhere and we got a phone call and he, I remember him playing the, uh, the eight track demo over the phone to me. And he's like, you got to get back and record this. So we went back to LA, set everything back up, did that song, brought CC to in. And at the time it was fine. Everybody was fired up. You know, we got a big anthem song here and out of the gate, it's going to be the first single, you know, it changes the name of the record, changes the art on the record. John Scarpati, who did the cover of the record, did a great job. Uh, Jeff Klein, who did the video, did a fabulous job. We had a lot of fun doing it. And um, and it, it, it got a lot of legs. You know, it was all over MTV. It was all over the radio. So when you're successful like that and everybody's great and you're playing arenas, everything's fine. But the second that it you know you get the speed wobble so to say and you're not playing the arenas and you're moving down to theaters you know you look at something to blame and a lot of people in the press or other bands and and you know picked on that song um for whatever reason and I think he he took it pretty hard you know um but he pin, you know he didn't want to be known as that that guy that only wrote that one pop you know that's an iconic pop song you know you would think anybody would go, great, I'll take credit. But it, it it burnt him a little bit because he had such a deeper catalog than that. So I think that's where it was. It bugged him, in my opinion. What was the record going to be called if you hadn't done Cherry Pie and added it on? Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin was being thrown around. Quality You Can Taste can be, was being thrown around. Um, those are the two I remember. Um in an outburger, what in an outburger might have came out came after you on that second title. <laughs> you like that, huh? Come on, everybody likes an in an outburger. <laughs> we don't have them on the East Coast, but I got a place in Vegas now, and there's they open one right up the street, which is really dangerous for me, given that they're open till two in the morning. I don't need to be eating that that late, but <laughs> it's right there. Yeah, yeah. And there's well, that neon. On the <laughs> yeah. You see that neon quality you can taste, but uh, yeah, I didn't realize that that was an add-in. Add-on. Why Why was C.C. DeVille brought in to play the guitar solo on that? We had such a hard time on the Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich cycle. You know, usually you make a record, you tour, it's about 18 months long from starting the record to finishing a tour. Getting an actual tour, getting, you know, like an arena tour. The last, I think, six months of the Dirty, Rotten cycle, we were, we were supporting uh, Motley Crue on the Dr. Feelgood tour. So, we were so gun shy about not being able to get another tour and poison was getting ready to go out with flesh and blood. They were friends of ours. And we thought if we brought Cecil in, um, he would go, listen, you know, these guys are great. Let's take them out. <laughs> you know, how's that for a good CC uh, it's good. imitation. 
but uh, and so we brought him in and had some fun recording that and uh, and and put it together and and we got that tour and we went out with those guys for a while and it was fun you know it was back back in the day fond memories. Well, do you think Joey and I? Of course, this is a hypothetical, but do you think that if uh, Janie would have turned it around and gotten healthy, because again, Warrant existed without him a couple times, including with the current lineup for a little bit before he passed away. Do you think that if he could have turned his life around, that there was a scenario where you would have gone back to playing with him? You and I both know how fans are, and you and I both know that as much as I love the band and what you do now, there's a segment of fans that won't accept vans without guys that just aren't around anymore. And you know that that's a thing with not just your band, but but some, a lot of bands, despite right. how good they are. Um, right. Do you do you think there's a scenario where if if he would have lived and gotten healthy and been been able to make a change that you would have worked with him again? I think anything would have been possible, you know, and and I don't ser- you know seriously don't want to downplay what Robert Mason does in this band and, and what a neither do I. I love Robert. What he's, yeah, yeah, and what he's done for this band and what he continues to do every night to play pay homage to, you know, those songs Janie wrote. Um, you know, absolutely. I mean, he came back after the reunion and, and hit Eric and said, hey, man, I got it back together. Let's do this again. I want to show everybody what I can do. And um, there just wasn't any personal responsibility. Like, I'm sorry I screwed it up during the reunion. I really, you know, it was always just a me, 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 I, I, I thing at that time. And to be honest, we had been through you know, rebranding once with Jamie St. James, which was which was hard, and then the reunion thing happened and failed, and we got Robert in there. And once we had some stability in our band, just like any business, we you know we wanted to march forward and have it be stable and try to try to grow on what we had at the time, and that's what we've done in the last you know, uh, wow, twelve years I think, twelve or thirteen years almost with Robert. And so, you know, if Janie would have gotten it together past that, I'm sh- I'm sure, you know, we would have talked about it. I mean, not to belittle Robert by any means, but it is what it is. Right, of course. You know, I, I, I listen, I, I grew up on Van Halen with Dave Lee Roth. You know, it doesn't it doesn't belittle the fact that Sammy's a brilliant singer, songwriter and that the tunes that he did with Van Halen aren't huge and great. You know, but I just didn't. I I was bought into the Van Halen with Roth. You know, um, at that time, it's diff- It was different after that when they got back together and, and did reunion stuff. But so I totally get it as a as a music fan. I understand. You know, and it. But it is what it is. And as as a guy in a band that that loves my my band brothers and the music that we've made together with Janie and without Janie, you know, it would be a very difficult decision if Janie was still around to go back with him and and not play with Robert anymore, because I know if we did that, it would be done with Robert. And to be honest with you, I have a great time with Robert and he's like a brother from another mother to me. And he's the ultimate professional, but certainly, you know, if he was still around, I'm sure, I'm sure there would be talk. Yeah. I remember when I remember clearly, and I've known Robert, Robert being a Jersey guy, I've known him for, 35 years and I I love him to death and I think he's fantastic in your band and I've told him this too as shitty as this is the simple truth is 
when Janie passed, I think there was a much greater level of acceptance and people looking at him more objectively than when Janie was still alive. Because when the, and that's with any band, when the guy is still alive and out there doing music, the fans are going to continually say, why don't you get that guy back? Sadly, if that guy passes away and that option's not on the table anymore, then they start looking, I think, more fairly and more objectively to the guy that is there. And in the case of Robert, he delivers on every level. He's he's phenomenal. And I remember when you, I remember at Rocklahoma, it was like 09, 2010. And I remember distinctly standing backstage in the parking lot with you and you guys were waiting for Janie to show up. You were headlining one of the days. You didn't know what you were going to get because he had been having problems. And I remember we, us waving Robert over and you guys ask you saying to him, hey, if you know some Warren songs, can you stand on the side of the stage just in case? Because you didn't know what, Janie, you were going to get that night. I mean, I felt for you because you were kind of like having contingency plans you had to put out there. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that either because I was the only guy that came in a day early to that gig the day of, because I think Triumph was playing that night and I really wanted to see Triumph. And you were the first person, like I literally got out of the car backstage yeah. and you came walking up to me because it was right. It was the weekend after the Las Vegas show where Lane had a really, really rough gig yep. and was hammered. And you just asked me what's going on, what's going on. And, and I was honest with you. I said, he's in rehab right now. He's supposed to get out and fly tomorrow and be here. And I saw Robert standing there with his band at the time. Um, and you can say the name if you want. I don't know if this is a PG show or no, not. You can say his name. His name okay. He was there playing with a, a cover tribute band on the side stage called Big Cock. Cock, right. as, cock as in rooster. Get rooster, your heads out. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the cock, right? Exactly. So, um, great, great, great marketing behind that. It is. But he was there with his band, and I remember just walking up to him and saying, dude, come here for a minute. You know, do you know any songs? So, yeah. I was right. I remember, forget that. Yeah. And then, and then I, and then I did say, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. Please, you know, he was off our radar because we just didn't, for whatever reason, you know, we didn't think. And um, when he got on our radar, he came to sound check the next morning. And Dixon, he saw Dixon before he saw me, and I'd asked him, I said, I don't know what's going to happen here. There might be, you know, Lane might be out. I don't know. And I go, come and say hi to the guys tomorrow because he knew all the guys because we had played, you know, with Lynch Mob and Warrant prior to that. And he came in, and Dixon saw him first before I even saw him in the morning and said the same thing I said the night before, you know, or we might need a singer. Are you interested? And he was interested, you know. And, and you know, the story goes, we Lane, Lane did a few shows where it was good. And and Dixon's like, no, we don't need to try Robert out. Lane's going to be fine. And I and I, me being the insurance whore of the band, I just said we need an insurance policy here. Let's just rehearse with him once and see how it goes. And we did, and it sounded fantastic. And lo and behold, a month later, it was over with with Janie and and Robert stepped in. So, well, and people who if people have not seen Warrant with Robert, it's it sounds absolutely amazing. He does a phenomenal job. The band sounds incredible. And again, I don't say that just to say it. I say it because uh, I really, really believe it. I love what you guys do. It's the vocals. It's all real. It's all live. It kicks ass. And, uh, you know, I really, really love what you're doing. Hey, real quick, speaking of Jerry, I know he hasn't been playing with the band recently. Is he coming back? Yes, he will be back. Jerry has toured. He's the only guy in the band Warrant that never took time off. I mean, Eric took some time off away from the band because he – in, in like 95, 96, because he had some 
physical issues with some ulcers and things. And Jerry has been the only guy in the band that's just never taken time off. And he's got some things he's trying to figure out with where he's living and his home in Vegas. And is he going to move and is he going to not move? And he just came to us and he said, hey, man, you know, even though COVID was last year and I had some time off, I'd like to take some time off away and just dial in, you know, what I'm doing in my personal life. And are you guys cool with that? And and we said, absolutely. You know, you want your, like anything, you want your brothers to be healthy. I don't want anybody out on the road that's not wanting to be out on the road, as you and I both know, because you travel like a madman. It's not for the weak at heart. You know, you've got to be, you've got to have it together going out on tour and, and flying and doing a hundred plus, you know, flights a year and, and hotels and especially in today's world where it's COVID and you've got to sequester yourself and stay safe. And so he's absolutely coming back. He's absolutely healthy. Um, he picked Robbie Crane to step in because Robbie is an old friend of the band from before I was in the band. And you've seen Robbie, you know, Robbie, well, he's done a wonderful job. He's, he's a brother from another mother as well. And, you know, we're we're out there doing what we do. It's 110% live, as you said. There's no tapes. There's no Memorex going on. Love it. And, um, you know, Robert, uh, my hat's off to Robert just because he takes a beating from fans that are Janie Lane fans. I get it. Like I said before, I get it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a music fan myself. I get it. But at this point, you know, if if you don't like it, don't come to the show, you know. I mean, it is what it is. And uh, he's got balls of steel to stand there every night and absolutely bring it 110%, and he does, and I love him for that. And we miss Janie dearly. There's no kidding there. It's just unfortunate that, you know, you and I are talking here 10 years later and we're not talking about, you know, something more, uh, a, a little lighter, so to speak. Um, yeah. But we miss him. we miss him dearly. I really... You know, and the band appreciates the time you take out, Eddie, because I know you're just such a huge music fan, and we really appreciate it. And God bless Janie and his family and his daughters. And uh, we'll be out there on the road if somebody wants to come and check it out. Yeah, man. Well, it's a good way to wrap up. I appreciate the time, Joey, and and thank you so much. And, uh, again, I I say with full sincerity, people listening, you should absolutely go check out Warrant if you have the opportunity to do so. They're out there playing – Every weekend, pretty much somewhere, just check the band's website, look for a date. Uh, great songs celebrating the great music and songs that, that Janie wrote and performed on. But again, I tell people all the time, too, you, you guys are all original when Jerry's there, of course, except for Janie, who, of course, can't be there. I mean, that's an unbelievable ratio by comparison to most bands that are on the road. So it's right. hard to grumble when you can go and see a totally original band, except for the guy that sadly passed away 10 years ago today. Thanks so yep. much for the time, man. I'll see you out there on the road, I'm sure, again soon, and uh, we'll be hanging and rocking somewhere. I appreciate it, Eddie. Thanks for the time. Thanks to Joey Allen. Coming up, another interview for you this week. It is with Jack Blades of Night Ranger, and it's next. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Justin and so good. 
thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Eddie Trunk with you. Jack Blades of Night Ranger joined me on my volume show a couple weeks ago on Sirius XM. He called in to talk about the band's new album, which is out now called And the Band's Played On. And he also uh, talked about a number of interesting things in this interview, including will the band Damn Yankees ever play again? That's a question a lot of people tend to ask. And that's a question we don't really know the answer to now, do we? But maybe Jack can share some insights, right? We'll find out because here's Jack Blades of Night Ranger talking about all that more on this week's podcast. JB. Eddie, how are you doing? I'm good. You guys have been the road dogs. I saw you at M3. I know you're coming up on Monsters on the Mountain in October. You've got, uh, you're on this Rock Island uh, show in Key West I'm doing in January. It's got to feel good to be out there playing in front of people again, huh? Oh, man, it's it's the greatest. I mean, night before last, we were at Sturgis. We played with uh, Stone Temple Pilots Monday night, and it was just uh it was great. I mean, like, you know, 15,000 people out there just rocking and rolling. And all those, you know, after you play a song that everybody digs, like the motorcycles are in the Buffalo Chip and they start revving their engines. It's freaking mind-boggling how loud it is. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's just great. I've been to Sturgis a couple times. I've done a couple TV shoots there. And and for people that have never been there, they it's a it's the biggest biker thing, I think, in America. But they don't. To show their appreciation after each song, instead of applauding, they're all idling on their bikes. They rev the bikes. So it is pretty incredible and loud. It's so freaking loud, man. I mean, like some of them, like I'm, I, we just we just stood back and stand. We stood there. We just stood back and stood. You know, we didn't. It was crazy. It was just unbelievable. And we only we had a we had to do it four piece because Carrie, um, our, our other guitarist, Carrie Kelly, um, with Night Ranger, messed up his knee and had to have knee surgery. So, so he was out of action. So Gilby Clark called me that day and he's like, "Hey, I just rode out my bike from L.A. and and I had done some Kings of Chaos things with him before and everything." And I said, "Dude, on stage tonight, you're playing with us. 
So Gilby came up and played the last. He played, you know, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, Sister Christian and Rockin' America with us. It was awesome. That's that's deep water to be thrown into. I mean, the the guitar. I mean, Carrie, of course, Carrie and Brad now. But back in the day, what Brad and Jeff did on those original recordings, that that's deep uh, water for yeah. a guitar player to do on short notice. I would I would think that. I, uh, I mean, Gilby's a great player and a great guy, but that's that's deep water to be thrown into. <laughs> I know, I know. We were backstage going over parts and everything like that. And he's like, I got it, I got it, I got it. He, he killed it. He killed it. Absolutely killed it. We had, it was a blast. You know what the thing is? That's what rock and roll is all about. It's the way it should be, man. you got friends that you've known for years. And it's like, if, if someone's down and out or, you, you know, can't, if someone wants to come up and jam, and that's what we do all the time. We get people up all the time to play with us. So it was just another, you know, another Night Ranger night. It was awesome. Yeah, and you can also do that when you're a real live rock band that plays everything live, and you don't have to worry about somebody syncing up to your fake tracks and vocal tracks that you're running. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, exactly. It makes it a lot. It makes it a lot easier that way. That's for sure. You know, the other thing we've talked about this before, Jack. I mean, you, the thing that's so amazing about Night Ranger is that you guys can play in a wide variety of settings and bills and with other bands before or after you, like you guys can go out and play like in a very pop leaning bill. You can play in a hard rock thing. You can play even in a more metal leaning thing. Like you've got the gamut, like the flexibility of who night Ranger can play with and have guests with them or be on bills with is pretty diverse. Talk about some of the more interesting bills you guys have done over the years. Like, have you ever been on like, after a, like a death metal band or something. I mean, I mean, it's just, look, when we first started out in 1982, I mean, they threw us out. We had our first album out and suddenly Ron, we're, you know, we're playing in Texas with black Sabbath. I mean, with, you know, Ian Gillen was singing then and stuff like that, but it was like, we were like, well, this is kind of interesting. This is kind of different for us because we weren't quite as heavy, heavy, heavy as Sabbath, you know, at the time and stuff like that. But I mean, Eddie, like like three weeks ago, a month ago, we were up in Kadad at the Rock Fest there, and we played with, um, you know, Corey Taylor, um, Phil Anselmo, and the, uh, you know, Phil Anselmo, who, who Anselmo, who is, you know, of course, you know who he is, and everything like Pantera. that. And, and yeah. then Limp Biscuit, and then yeah, Pantera, and then Limp Biscuit was the headliner, and then there's, you know, and here we are, at Night Ranger, and the fans freaking loved it, and then of course, and Corey came out and sang the second verse of Don't Tell Me You Love Me with us, so that was great, and then. And then the next night, I mean, we were on with like Hailstorm. I mean, the next, a next big festival we played. So I mean, yeah. And I, like I said, it was night four last. We were on with STP, and so, and then we can, you know, then we, of course, all our friends and you know, Sticks and REO and you know, anything like that. So yeah, we, we can, we can kind of, you know, I mean, Night Ranger, we just do our thing, Eddie. We just do, we just get out there, and we don't like worry about it. I mean, dude, we're not gonna. You know, we're not going to out heavy Phil and you know and Selma. We're not going to you know, so we don't try to like be the heavy dudes or something right, like that. Right. We just get up there and play our show, you know, and just kick ass and do it. And we just play, you know, straight ahead American rock and roll. That's what we do. And like with the new album and everything like that. That's all you know with ATBPO, and we're up there playing Breakout, our first single, and it's just a big rock and track. And you know, we don't think about it. We just get up there and and do what we do. And I think that's the best thing. Yeah, no, no. We're going to talk about the new record here in a second, but one quick thing on Corey. So, I remember you, when that was a couple weeks ago. You were hitting me up to get for that was Corey because to... of you. Yeah, wait a minute. That was you... because of you. I'm like, we'd met Corey. Um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, but we met. No, that's Corey okay. We did. Um, 
we did that, that metal, metal show, show and right. it was like yeah it was brad and Corey and me doing doing that metal show and it was like we all got along great and Corey's a fan of the band and all that kind of stuff and and then we were playing the show and i so I, I, I texted you and I hit up you and I go, dude, get all the Corey, tell him we're playing. And in minutes, like 20 minutes later, it's like I got a, I got a text. Mr. Blades, it's Corey, it, you know, <laughs> it's Corey. What's going on? You, you know, I say, hey, dude, we're playing the show. Come on. So, so we went out there and, of course, he's there and we were hanging out and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I just went up to him. I mean, we were, in the, we were in the dressing rooms all just, you know, shooting the shit and everything like that. And we just, I just went up to him and I said, look, dude. Why don't you come out? He says, don't tell me love me. He's always been one of my favorites, man. I love this song. And I said, well, why don't you come up, sing the second verse? And he goes, really? You want it? I said, yeah, you need the lyrics? I can write down. He goes, I don't need the lyrics, bro. I got the lyric. I know the lyrics. <laughs> so so he, to, he, he and his bandmates were standing on the side of the stage, you know, during the show. And, you know, and we came up to don't tell me love me. I, you know, we sang the first chorus. I turn and look. He's kind of going, you know, with the arms up in the air. You really want me to come out? I just grabbed the microphone and walked right back to him. My mic stand and just said, come on. And out he came and sang it. It was killer, dude. Yeah, yeah. That See, and that kind of supports my point. Like, when we were doing that metal show, I used to love doing that. Like, putting two, the same people on the show or two different people on the show that people would not expect to be fans of each other or to know each other. And, and Corey, I know he loves his eighties hard rock. So when we did that, I knew that was really going to work well. And of course it did. And then when you reached out to me about him, him coming out, it, I think he was a late addition actually on that bill, or maybe you were both right. of you were, but we, when I hit him up, right, I knew exactly. that he's the kind of guy that was just going to be like, jump in on something like that and eat it up. And uh, I, I was happy to see it all worked out because the clips I saw online looked like it was a lot of fun. Hey man, music, music should be that way, especially at the stage of the game. You know, we've been around that. We've been around this place for, you know, many, 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 many years. And, and it's like at this point of this, uh, at, at this point, it's just gotta be fun. Let's just have fun. Let's just get out there and just, you know, just kick ass and have a great time. And who wants to come up on stage? Who wants to sing with it? Who wants to do this? Who wants to do that? That's the, you know, that's, that's the great thing. And your philosophy, by the way, is the same philosophy that Bill Graham had when we were in San Francisco, when he'd be booking acts, man, he would book like Montrose and Tower of Power together or something like, you know what I mean? Just like, what? You know, like, you know, Sly and the Family Stone and, 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 and like Deep Purple. You know what I mean? He would like, he would book like things that people would never dream of, but nobody, it was me. It's music, man. It's music. And, and just like at these festivals when we played, everybody's singing along to Sister Christian and everything. And then everybody's singing along to, you know, Limp Bizkit tunes. So it's, 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 it's pretty, you know, it's exactly what you did is what Bill Graham did in San Francisco. Let's talk about the new record uh, and the bands played on is what AT. BPO stands for the, uh, li I listen to the record. I've been playing the record. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's awesome that you guys made a record. It's a kick, a kick-ass straight up hard rock record. I love it. I love the dual guitar playing such a big signature of what night Ranger does, but I got to ask you this. What for you is the driver and the band? What is the driver to continue to make new music? Because as much as I love it, and I'm sure your hardcore fans do, 
we both know that there are a lot of bands that just rest on the nostalgia. They've got their hits, they've got their catalog. They know that's what's going to make everybody happy in the crowd, and that's what they hang with. And many don't even bother to to make new records. For Night Ranger, you've made some really good new records recently, including the new one. So talk a little bit about that mentality. Is it just you being a songwriter and a musician and the rest of the guys just you feel that creatively it's just something you have to do despite the fact it's not going to sell two million copies and have hits on mtv like back in the day you know i i think that i think that people sometimes i just don't understand that when guys just want to you know when when bands you know they sometimes people just don't want to create anymore and stuff like that. Or like it's a business decision that I, I, I remember I read once that Billy Joel said, I'm not going to write any more new music or create any new, new music or make new records because radio is not going to play it. So the hell with it. And, and, and I'm like, cause it is a, you know, when you, when you're, you know, you're, you're creating again and you're throwing it out there again and everything like that. It is a, it is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard road to, you know, to go down because you want to make a real great record. You want to make music. You want to create stuff that people really like and everything like that. So it is a, it is a process and everything like that. But for us and, and for me, especially, and, and for the rest of the guys in band, I, this is, this is what I do. You know, I eat, sleep and drink music. You know what I mean? It's like every minute of the day, there's a freaking song going around in my head. I mean, it's like a blessing and a curse to tell you the truth. But I mean, I think for me, it's like, you got to keep your brain going. You got to keep everything going and keep it exciting. And for me, the only way to do that is to be creative is to constantly create, 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 you know what I mean? And I think it's the same way with an artist and a painter. I mean, like, you know, Picasso, some of these cats that are, you know, like, you know, were painting, you know, from their thirties until their eighties and you know what I mean? Nineties and stuff like that. I, I think it's, I think I think when you stop creating, that's when you start shriveling up inside, you know, and that's kind of what our whole, you know, our whole, you know, the whole philosophy of the, of the band is in that respect. So so we're just going to, you know, we just keep doing it, keep writing new songs, keep coming up with ideas. I mean, hey, man, if it doesn't hit right, it's not going to hit the glory days of the Dawn Patrol, Midnight Madness, Seven Wishes. Big, you know, what I mean, it's, we're not going to sell like millions and millions and millions of records. But you know what? It's, it doesn't matter to me about that right now. What matters to me is to keep creating and keep coming up with things that, I, that, that are from our heart and soul. And luckily, the last few albums we've done, a lot of people have picked up on the same feelings when we've created as you know, they've dug the songs that we've come up with. And I think that's what's the reaction with the, with the new ATBPO record, too. Yeah. Is it a challenge to get new music into the live set for you guys, because we all know that touring and the live shows is where the bread is buttered. Back in the day of Dawn Patrol and Midnight Madness, you toured to sell the record. Now the you, the the tour the record is almost like get, just get it out there, let people know we're still cooking, and then you go out when you play live. That's where you make your money. That's where you the bread is buttered. And I I've talked to artists about this before. It's a challenge because you want to play new stuff from recent records, but you're out there at these festivals. You're out there in these shows. You you want to make sure the fans keep coming back. Night Ranger's in a great position where you got a half a dozen songs. You got to play every show. So creating the balance is that a challenge when you continue to add to the catalog, Jack? Oh man, it's 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 hard bro it's i mean eddie it's like the that's the hardest thing i mean right now we're playing breakout in the set and it's just like 
It's killer. You know, it's just wonderful. The new track from the ATBPO record. But I mean, there's four or five songs I'd like to play on this record. I'd love to do Hard to Make It Easy. I'd love to do Bring It All Home to Me. I'd love to do Dance. I'd love to do one of the ballads. You know, the one that Kelly sings, you know, The Hardest Road. I mean, there's... But the problem is, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're out there playing, and there's certain songs that you've got to play. You know, the, you know, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, or Sister Christian, When You Close Your Eyes, Rock in America. You know, um, you know some, there's a couple more, too. But, but it's like, I know what it's like in the audience, because I've been there when, when bands are going, okay, we're going to do a new song off our new record. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, why don't you play one of the ones that we love so much? You know, I mean, it's like, oh, shit, I'll go get a beer now. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> well, it's, it's oh, hard for God. it's hard for something to compete. It's hard for any song, no matter how good it is to compete. If it's been out six months to compete with something that people have been hearing and living with for 30 or 40 years, it just, it's just, I think it just takes time too for it to seep in because, you know, it's interesting. We recently just had the, uh, the big 40th anniversary of MTV and having been a guy growing up with MTV and I know MTV incredibly important to the early success of night Ranger. You had that. I mean, that was a game changer that getting that video on, as you well know, changed everything immediately and could instantly make you successful and recognizable. Now it's such a flooded world of music that I think there's just a much more, a much longer gestation period for people to even find out you have new music out and to know it. I know, I know. It's really, it's really, it's like, well, we're, uh, I mean, uh, sometimes I see people, oh, you're a Night Ranger. Um, you guys still playing? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I talked to Tommy Shaw once. You saw somebody, you know, like somebody came up to him at the airport. Is like, oh, sticks. Yeah, you. I remember you guys. You guys, you guys still playing? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you, you also have people. You also have people that are completely, totally checked out. That stopped living in '89, and they have no clue. Like I get those calls all the time. Hey, whatever happened to sticks? Like what? Like you know? So, so <laughs> that's a whole different category of people. Right, right, exactly. But you know what I mean? You know, to your point, it's it's just, I don't know, man. It's just, a, you got to just go out there. And, and there's a balancing act because it's also, we as musicians love playing new things and new creative things. It's like a challenge for our band. We're not like a bunch of dudes that would just sit back and go, oh, dude, I don't want to, I don't, do I have to learn the new song now? Do I have to do that now? It's the other way around. It's like, come on, come on, come on, let's play it, let's play it, let's play it. But yet, you know what I mean? So we want to play all the you know a lot of the a lot of the new tracks and just have fun with them and stuff like that which we do sometimes and then what happens Eddie is like certain certain songs really really feel right feel right with the audience feel right with everything the vibe is fun everything is good and so we leave those in the set you know and we've done that over the years you know what I mean and that's how we've kind of like we created but plus which we have so many songs that I love just changing. Each night we play different different sets. Each night we play different songs. We're not that band that just sits up there and just plays the same set for the for the for the next like you know um, six weeks. I mean, I, I couldn't. That I just just freaking shoot me if I had to do that. So we like you know I'll, I'll, you know we'll, we'll write up a set list before the show and it's like we'll throw in this song, we'll throw in that song, and then we're backstage you know in, with our practice amps and working on remembering all the parts and everything like that. I, I think it's, you know, I think that's what keeps it exciting and different and fun. 
Oh, it's all, I mean, I think, I don't remember what, M3, I think it was just recently when I was there hosting, and you're you're the only band I got to actually go out front of house and watch the full set, because you, you know, with these festivals, you're in a million directions, there's a million bands, but you closed the whole thing out, so I was done, so I'm like, great, I'm going to actually go out and watch Night Ranger play the whole thing, and I think, I think it was, I think it was Why Does Love Have to Change You Did that night from uh, Midnight Madness, and and I'm like, it's awesome to hear like some of the new stuff, but then the fact that you'll rotate in some deep tracks makes it so great for a hardcore fan like me and the others. But again, also for you, the band, I imagine it's fun to dig into that stuff again and keeps it all fresh. It's, it's like, that's, that's what keeps it fresh for us. I mean, being able to do that, like to throw in a song like that or throw in a, you know, a rumors in the air or penny, I got your number or something, you know, or just something, something off of one of those, you know, like a deep track off an album and, and it's off one of our records. And it's just, it keeps us like on, on our toes. So we don't ever say, and I think that's what night Ranger never sat back on our laurels and just like, we've never, you know, I said, we've never like just turned it in. Let's just turn in, you know, we'll just turn in the show. You know, we'll just get up there and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Play it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good night. It's like, that's just not in our DNA either with, with Brad Kelly, me, or with, you know, Eric or, or Carrie, you know, and having Eric and Carrie there, you know, those guys know all the old songs, play them, you know, all our, our, our you know, from our catalogs and stuff like that. So when I do say, Hey, we're going to do this, that, and that, and that, they, get, they just have to brush up on it. And boom, there we are that night. Like, why does love have to change? I mean, how many times have we played that in the last 10 years? <laughs> Not the, not a lot that I've seen. How, how are you no. guys? How are you guys all doing physically? You know, I I we know that Kelly, you know, had uh had he had heart surgery, right? I mean, he had he. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. announced, and I I saw when I went to see you guys at M three. I mean, watching him up there singing and playing like he does behind those drums, you would never know that. And then I look at at you still bouncing around and sounding great like it was 40 years ago and and brad is always in great shape and playing great and and obviously uh you know carrie and and eric i mean that's that's remarkable to me and again it's all real it's all live it's not like you're mailing it in or faking it i i think it's amazing uh i mean do you do you attribute that to just taking care of yourself as you get older and also continuing to stay out there and work to to keep on your game like that I, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of all those things. I mean, we're, you know, it, it, you know, you've got to, you got to take care of yourself and we're like, I can't dude, I, you know, I've got to sing shows so I can't stay up. I can't go to the bar and hang out after we play at, you know, 11 o'clock and hang out in a bar till two, like shouting and screaming and yelling, yeah, fucking, I love you, brother. You're fucking great. You know, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't do that. So I like, there's certain things you figure out. You know, because I mean, I mean, you can, you know, you go so far, but you, you can't, I, you just can't physically do that kind of thing. At least, at least I can't, I, I still can't, you know, I can't do that. And I think Kelly's the same way. I think Brad is, you know, Brad is very much, you know, he's, he's, he's healthy. He's strong. He's bulletproof. You know, I mean, he had shoulder surgery. He's like Taurus rotator cuff and he was down for like three months while we were making this record, which was a pain. But I mean, it was um, that he came. He's coming back, and he's he's in great shape. He's, per, he's stronger now. His his arms just great. His I mean, his shoulders just great, and everything like that. And then Kerry with his knee, though, you know, this past 
you know, this past like three weeks that, you know, he tore, tore something in his knee and it's like, oh, brother, that's a drag. But, I mean, we have like, we have these 10 days off and he's getting, he'll be repaired and he'll be fine for our show in Vegas and everything like that. So, so we're, you know, we're just, we just got to, you know, you got to do what you got to do right now. I'm sure the Stones don't party like they did back in 1970 or 1980 or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that, I think you got to figure that out early on. And if you don't figure it out, you go down the drain, bro. And that's what happens, man. And that's what you see with a lot of artists also, you know, you see them just like circling the drain, bro, because you just, you get, you know, it's like, what do you want to do? You want to keep playing music. Do you want to keep doing this? Because this is my life. This is what I love to do. I mean, music is, is just everything, you know, and did you want to just keep doing this or do you want to drink and you or, or smoke or, or, or get completely out of your mind or whatever you want to do? You know, you just want to party all, all, all the time on the road it's like no you got to make that decision at some point i mean there's still shots of tequila in our life though eddie Don't worry <laughs> i know firsthand there's, there's plenty of shots yeah you know that for a fact by the way <laughs> i know that as recently as a month ago or whatever when i saw yeah, you I was gonna say. <laughs> but it's after the show you know it's maybe maybe just one before and maybe two after not not excessive yeah, so everybody yeah, not, not, not in excess correct, correct. exactly <laughs> exactly right hey so this the new record uh i imagine like a lot of people, a difficult record to make given the COVID situation. Were you doing it during that? Were you? Was it one of those deals where everybody's sending tracks around? Were you able to get in the same room? How did? How did? Uh, what was the timing on making the record, or was it made before COVID? How did it all go no, down? No, no, it was right in the middle of right in the middle of COVID, and it was a drag. It was a it was a stone drag. I mean, um, Brad and Kelly and I did some a couple of Zoom calls and stuff like that. And that was kind of lame. You know, you're coming up with ideas and you're sitting there. It's just the last three albums that we've done, you know, like somewhere in California and um, High Road and uh, Don't Let Up. We, we, we went back to our old way that we used to make records. And that is we all get in a room. We start jamming on songs like in my studio up in Northern California. We jam on a bunch of songs and we'd immediately go record them. And it just kept it super, super fresh and, and, and urgent and exciting. We'd write lyrics, get everything going, and we'd just lay the stuff down. But this time, because of the pandemic and everything like that, none of us could get together. I mean, the only people that got together is Carrie came up to my place and, and, and um, for a couple, couple, three days. And we came up with um, um, co- uh, Coming For You, Monkey. And we, he added a bunch of, you know, on great, great stuff, guitars on uh, Hard To Make It Easy and everything like that. And so, but the rest of the time, we just I sent songs around. I mean, I came up with about, you know, seven or eight tunes. and I started sending them around everybody. Brad came up with a brilliant, all the music to, you know, he had the music to um, break out. And, and, you know, he sent it to me and it was like this, you know, it was like a 10 minute opus almost and, and everything like that. So we kind of shaped it up and made it a, you know, made it into a, like a, a great song form. And, and then, you know, I wrote the, the melody and the, the, of course, the lyrics and the chorus and everything like that. And, and, and but I'm telling you, Every, everybody, we sent in all our tracks. Everybody would record separately. You know what I mean? And, and so, and so everybody would send in their tracks and some songs, Eddie had 150 fricking tracks on them. And it's like, oh, wow. what? And I mean, you know, like Eric had put on like, you know, 10 or 15 keyboard part, you know, Carrie put on 15 guitar tracks and 20, you know, I put on a bunch of track Kelly, you know, of course he played all his drums and everything like and singing and everything like that. And then, so, all these tracks were coming in, but nobody had heard what some of the other tracks had already been on there because we weren't completely up to, you know, up to date and everything like that. Well, I never heard that. And so, so I'm, 
I'm having to like sift through all this stuff with our engineer, uh, Anthony Fox, and we're going through everything. And, you know, this song, this works with this, but this didn't quite work with this and that and that. And I'm getting calls from guys like, dude, where's my part? You know, you pulled my part up. Well, there was another keyboard. Well, dude, what about my part? And then I get, you know, I pull that out, and then it'd be, then Eric would call and go, "Hey, man, I put all these keyboards. Where's the keyboard?" I'm like, "Well, but we, <laughs> it was, it was, oh, it was like, uh, it was a pain in the ass. I tell you, it was. But the final, uh, you know, I, I think what you know came out of it, everybody agreed. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, we argue for our parts, and if the if the argument was good then the part stayed, you know what I mean? And, right. if it, you know, if it worked and it felt like right for the song, it did. But, you know, and, and, and I think the final outcome is, I think the record, we really pushed to make sure the record sounded like we were all in the room, make sure there were grooves on every song, make sure it had an attitude on every song. And that's what we did. And I think it comes across that way. And I'm really, I'm really happy that we accomplished that. You know, I, one of the signatures of Night Ranger, beyond the, the, the vocals and the vocal harmonies and you and Kelly's lead vocals trading off and all that, to me, that I've always loved is the dual harmony guitar stuff. And right up until the new record, on a track like Breakout with Kerry and Brad, that's prominent. And the band that I always equate that to the most is Thin Lizzy that kind of really pioneered that. Was Thin Lizzy an influence on you guys in that regard at all? And when we started, we started like in 19, 1980, April of 1980 is when we put the, ba put the band together. And it, as you, you know, right then, think about it. I mean, Lizzie was like huge, right? And we were huge Thin Lizzie fans. I mean, really, if you, <laughs> if you think about Night Ranger, okay, wait a minute, let's get this. We got a singing bass player. We got two like twin harmony, yeah. you know, lead guitars and everything like that. It's kind of, you know, all we did was throw in a keyboard, you know, because Fitz, our keyboard player, was, you know, he's like, hey, I know this guy in Sa Sacramento, Jeff Watson, why don't you bring your three guys from Rubicon, Brad and, 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 and Kelly and you, and let's start a rock band. I mean, that's basically the genesis of, uh, of Night Ranger. But at that point, we were all, you know, we were big Lizzie fans. And, it, you know, so really, the, yeah, that had a lot of influence from, uh, you know, on us from the very, very beginning. Are you guys still in touch with Jeff Watson? Are you on the outs with him? What's his status these days? Do you still know? Do you know what he does now? I'm, I'm not. I'm not really. You know, no, I'm not up to date with Jeff. Yeah, you know, I haven't. You know, I haven't been up to date with him for a long time. You know, I don't know exactly. You know, if he's. You know, what he's doing. You know, I mean, look, I've been blessed to have played with some great guitar players. I mean, freaking in my lifetime. I mean, I mean Brad Gillis, Jeff Watson. I mean, you know, um, Kerry Kelly, uh, Joel Hoekstra. I yeah. mean, um, you know, I mean, Doug Aldrich went with the Revolution Saints. And Neil Sean's a good buddy of mine, you know, and Neil and I have done a bunch of stuff together for, you know, on Journey Records and, and you know, and, and my solo records. I mean, Ted Nugent and Tommy Shaw is a killer, killer guitar player. I don't, I, you know, I don't think Tommy gets enough credit for, for the kind of, you know, player he is as a, you know, as a guitar player and stuff like that. So I've been, I've been blessed that way to be, you know, with some amazing, amazing guitar players. Uh, okay. So just in wrapping up, you mentioned Revolution Saints. You've done a few records there. Dean Castronovo, yourself, and Doug Aldridge. Do you hope to do another record with that again, or is that pretty much kaput? No, you never know. You know what I mean? I mean, Dean's now back back in journey back in man. journey yeah i mean he's playing with narda narda's a real good friend of mine from san francisco days i've known narda since you know 1984 also and stuff like that so it's 
it's just really, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see Dean back with, you know, back in the fold, you know, cause Dean and Neil are such great, you know, players together. I mean, they really feed off of each other when they play together and stuff like that. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with um, revolution saints, but you know, you never say never. I mean, that's the way and I you, look at it. You and Tommy made some uh, records together. Just the two of you, the acoustic based records that were great. Would you like to do that again? Oh, I'd love to. I'm, I mean, always. I'm always up for a Shaw Blades record, man. I mean, Tommy and I sing, sing, sing great. I mean, just just great together. I mean, when we first we first got together back in '89, when I flew to New York, to, when we put the Damn Yankees together, it was like from from the the minute we met and started singing together, it was like you know. I think that first weekend, I think we wrote half the album, half the first Damn Yankees record between Ted and Tommy and me that first weekend there. I mean, yeah, I mean. It's it's always fun, Tommy. We played a show um, a couple of weeks ago in Ohio, and um, and uh, was you know Night Ranger and Sticks, and um, Tommy came out and and uh, well uh, on our, for our show and during our show, and we did uh, we did high enough, and it just it was just so wonderful. You know what I mean? It was just absolutely just great. Tommy's the greatest. All right. Well, you brought it up, and this is my obligatory question for my audience that I have to ask every time. You just said oh, the word. Come on, Dam- come you on, just Eddie. Said, you just said damn Yankees. You know they're always asking. <laughs> come any on, update, Eddie. I mean, any it's... update to offer to the fans in any way, shape, or form about ever doing anything with damn Yankees again? Okay, I'll never. I'll say the same thing. You'd never say never. And I think Tommy said the same thing. And Ted's always up for a damn Yankees record. I mean, Ted's Ted's hilarious, but he's always. He's always calling me up saying, I've got the most amazing licks right here. And he starts playing me stuff over the phone. And he's like, all of a sudden, I'm like, he's screaming and yelling. It's like spit is coming through the phone. You know, Ted. <laughs> yes, I do. I'm like, I have, to, I have to hold the phone back. He's like, all this spit's coming on my phone. I'm like, whoa, whoa, Ted. So never say never, Eddie. All right, because it's always out there. People always asking. People always wondering. But maybe some unfinished business there with you guys. And you know, Skinnerd is allegedly ending, so Cardelloni should have some time on his hands soon. I had a caller call up that had a great idea. You know, fans are always full of ideas. They said, "Why doesn't Night Ranger Sticks and and uh, Ted Nugent do a three band tour together in sheds, and then at the end they do a set of Damn Yankees?" And I'm like. I can't say that's a crazy idea, but if people go see you and they go see Night Ranger, you do do a couple damn Yankee song in the set songs in the set. We should tell people you do Coming right. of Age, and I think you did High Enough too, didn't you? Yep, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I think that'd be fun. I think that'd be a fun. I think I think the fans would get a large a large rise out of that. I mean, I think that would be a real fun thing because then that we could just end the whole thing with the damn Yankees, do like five or six damn Yankee songs right. at the end of the show or something like that. I know I, that would be killer. Why, don't you, Eddie? I'll call my agent. You call yours. Let's get this show going. <laughs> I, my, I got nothing to do with it. I would just be there as a fan. But uh, anyway, call man, my agent, Eddie. <laughs> my people call your people, Jack. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Are you on the Kiss Cruise with us? Are you not? I am not. Paul Stanley would throw me overboard if I was on that cruise. <laughs> So I will not. Oh man! I will, I, hey, I pay to see that. 
Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would. Um, but no, I will not be on that. I will see you at Monsters on the Mountain in Tennessee in October. I'll see you at Rock Island in uh, Key West in January. And we should tell people to go to nightranger.com and you can see Night Ranger in Vegas at the Westgate on the 21st of this month. I'm just, I bought a place in Vegas. I'm just going to miss you, uh, miss you for that. I'm getting there a couple days later, but uh, go see Night Ranger in Vegas. You got Summerfest in Milwaukee, Minnesota State Fair, tons of dates. Just go to nightranger.com. Hopefully everything can continue to roll out safely and we can can, uh, keep having great rock shows. And again, the new Night Ranger album, A-T-B-P-O is out now. It is always great to visit with you, pal. We could talk forever, and I'm sure we will again soon. Uh, Best to the guys and safe travels out there. Eddie, same to you. Same to you. Looking forward to seeing you again, and and thanks for all the years of, of just, you know, keeping the rock. You're keeping the rock, Eddie. I mean, my hat's off to you, bro. You keep the rock like nobody keeps the rock, so you just keep keeping the rock, man. I'll do my best. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, see you, bro. Bye. See you, man. Thanks to Jack Blades. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. Jack is always fun to visit with. And thanks earlier in the uh, podcast to Joey Allen of Warren. Thank you for listening. Joel Pollock is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And uh, new episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to visit me on social media at Eddie Trunk. And I'll see you guys next Thursday. Hopefully see you on the radio on volume Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Sirius XM 106. And don't forget the nightly re-airs or on demand anytime you want. Have yourselves a fantastic week. And I'll catch you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Next Thursday, I'm going to bring you an interview with Sticks. You're not going to want to miss that. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.